imagine that being said of us, prick us anywhere, and what flows
So he gives us a recipe and what Christian character looks like. In other words, a Christian mindset is supposed to create attitudes. It is supposed to create actions. It is supposed to, re- it's supposed to create responses that are uniquely Christ-like. And I'm sure you've experienced this at some point in your life, right? Where you, maybe you were introduced to a total stranger, and as you were listening to them or you heard an interview of, in the media, all of a sudden you go, they're a believer. There, there's something about the way that they talk, the way that they live, that is so otherly, that they, they've got to be a believer. And there is just something in them that reflects the flavor of Christ. I love it. There's something delicious about them. So Romans 12, 9 through 21, put some handles on this for us as we examine it. And I want you to be thinking about your flavor. Your flavor. This passage is, honestly, it's like kind of the book of Proverbs. Where does it begin? off a bunch of things. Rat-a-tat-tat, you know, be kind, do this, love this, honor this, da-da-da-da, and you go, okay, so how do I thematically pull this all together? So, there's 15 points this morning. <laughs> Ready? Buckle in, here we go. And as you listen, I don't want you to be overwhelmed by this entire list, right? Um, but I want you to carefully listen to just one or two aspects in your life that could use some improvement, maybe some repentance or just some encouragement. Now I'm going to give you a series of adverbs uh, that describe the way the Christian mindset is to be lived out. And each of these are important, but it is a collection. When this, this collection gets pooled together, lived out corporately, it is a beautiful and countercultural of what it means to be a Christian. And, and it is going to show the world what a Christian community is supposed to be like. So we start off by answering this question, how should Christians live? And here's the first one. It begins with, a in verse 9, a call to live sincerely. He starts off with love, or the Christian word, many of you know, you know what, what is one of the Greek Christian words for love? Agape, good, good. Greek scholars right here. He he starts off here because of its prominence in the commands of Christ for the life of the church. It's a command. And if there was one characteristic that was to kind of mark the followers of Jesus Christ and to make them unique in the world, it is this mark of love. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Commandment. It's a new commandment that I give you. Love. Love one another. How? As I have loved you. And then he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How? It's not by your community service. It's not by your, your activism. It's not by um, how many times you show up into a building or how many Bible studies you show up to. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Isn't that crazy? And Paul 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 that faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is what? Love. Love should be the chief characteristic for all of Jesus' disciples. However, this, this encouragement, this exhortation calls for a special kind of love. The Christian community is to be marked by a genuine or a sincere love. Paul is, is advocating for more than just friendliness. Hear that. It's more than just friendliness. It's more than just niceness. It's more than just civility. That's cheap. That's what the world does. We're friendly. Sometimes those character qualities, while commendable, can actually be self-serving and less than authentic. The vision for the church is more than just the absence of conflict and the presence of a welcoming culture. It's more than that. The biblical vision is a group of men, women, and children who love one another with a depth and a genuineness that is stunningly attractive and refreshing. I hope that if today was your first time coming here and gathering, you felt some, a little awkward, not because it's your first time here, but because these people love each other. This pastor can't hardly control this group because they're always hugging and they're always talking. Right? And I hope that that is stunningly refreshing for you. And you say, I love these people. Why? I don't know. But they really love each other. So living sacrifices, living sacrifices are sincere, truly sincere in love and affection for each other. Tertullian, who was a, an early uh, apologist in modern-day Tunisia, said that the Romans would say this. And this was in reference to the early Christians. The church was marked by love. That's not it. The second half of verse 9 gives us the second mark of a Christian mindset that is living purely. Believers are to love one another, and they are to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. The ESV uses the words abhor and hold fast. Why does he do that? The point is that the believer's posture towards good and evil cannot be passive can't be passive. Evil cannot be tolerated. We cannot put up with evil in our day and age. When we see evil, we hate it. We cannot put up with it because it is anti-Christ. So when you watch the news, you read the media, and you are not broken, and something is not stirring inside of you, you've got to be asking, what is wrong with you? You've got to abhor with it. You cannot tolerate it. It has to be hated. Good is not just hoped for. It must be clung to. Impurity just, just does not simply happen out of anywhere, right? It just doesn't hit you one day. It works all the way into our lives. And we to the point where we are no longer shocked or we're, we're no longer repulsed. 
repulsed by evil in this world, in our culture, in one another, or in the church. And given this context of sincerely loving one another, Paul probably has in mind the kind of evil that even destroys Christian relationships. He's talking about the body here. So yeah, we've got to hate the evil outside, but we have to hate evil within. Gossip, friends, slander, bitterness, hurtful words, anger, lying, selfishness, racism, pride, sexual sin, and a whole host of other sins are not just harmful, but destructive to the security of the church and the bond of love that we have. A Christian mindset hates what's evil and clings to what is good. It cherishes purity. So our, our list starts off with, with love, and we, we, we find another angle on the relationships within the church with this third one. The word for brotherly affection is different than the word that is found in, in verse 9 for love. This word means the kind of love that we have for family. And for some of you, you're going, into your life and have this affection 
difference, Paul says, we should outdo one another in showing honor. This is an extension of the affectionate love that we have for each other. And it reflects the very attitude that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2. In humility, count others more significant than yourself. The church is to be filled with people who are deferential to one another because we are part of the same family. We should look out for each other and we should desire to outdo showing honor to one another. Man, you've got a need? I'm going to give up my rights to show love and affection to you. I'm going to meet you right where you are at. And so we keep on moving. Verse 11. There's this a vision for believers to live with passion. Sadly, I've seen many Christian believers, many Christian churches that are passion-less. Paul is saying, no, no, no. I, I want, there should be this connection with the body of Christ that is not like uh, forcing a five-year-old to hu hug Uncle Jim who, who he's only met once. You know? it, it is, it is we, we should mean we are all in. We're all into this. Passionately. And so there's three statements about how we are to live passionately. Don't be slothful in your zeal. Don't be lazy in your commitments to one another. Come on! RSVP! Commit! <laughs> Show up! Don't be lazy and say, oh, somebody else did it. No! Get into it! Make efforts to be engaged with each other's lives. And there's another one. Be fervent in spirit. And this is in contrast to being slothfulness, having being slothful. The word fervent has this idea of bubbling or boiling, of a constant activity. The word spirit here means either something inside of us or the Holy Spirit himself. But regardless of who this spirit is referring to, the point is simply that our hearts should be burning, to be engaged, to be involved, and to be pouring into each other. Man, I am fervent. But he also says to serve the Lord. So while we are pouring into people who are parts of the body, we are always aware of the fact that ultimately that service is not to them. Ultimately that service is an offering back to God. So as I am serving you, Ultimately, this is, I am a living sacrifice, putting myself on the altar, saying, Lord, consume me, however it is. And I love particularly that I can serve my family. So do it with passion. Love one another. Be fervent. We are sacrifices who are to live passionately. With vim, vigor. That's why you should be saying amen about right now. fifth one, just to describe how we are to live, and it's a call to take a long view of life. Paul exhorts his believers to live steadfastly with three statements in verse 12. Live steadfastly. He says, rejoice in hope. And this is the overarching theme of perseverance. The believers endure by rejoicing in the hope that ultimately awaits them. Down the road, 
Maybe not today in the midst of persecution, but down the road I'm awaiting in hope for something. Romans 5, 3 to 4 says this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. The community of faith is marked by rejoicing in a future down the road hope that God is going to come, going to come through with every one of his promises. But secondly, we are to be patient in tribulation. Patience. The word patient means to endure or to bear up underneath. Believers are called to face these difficulties by not giving up. Not becoming anxious. Or by just giving up and just lowering home and down. But we stand, stand firm in the midst of tribulation. So during seasons of persecution, the church was calling one another to stay steadfast. Stay in it, brother. Stay in it, sister. Put your hope in, into something eternal. Come on. Let's keep on going together. But next, the next call is be constant in prayer. The community of faith is to be marked by continually being devoted to prayer, especially when the people of God are facing any kind of opposition. So do you see the importance of the role of the local church here? By gathering with God's people, your brothers and sisters in Christ, we celebrate our hope. We celebrate our hope. We help each other endure. When I hear that this is happening or that is happening, what do I do? I just go, uh, no, we are, we are deeply connected, aren't we? And we, we live into that space together. We pray for one another. We call them to, listen, endure under this tribulation, this time of trial. God will make a way. If it's not in this lifetime, someday. Living steadfastly, friends, is a community process. It's what we do together. not remain steadfast very well on your own. You need, you need others to encourage you, to help you, to support you, especially through trials and hardships. Any amens out there? Amen. Amen, right? So, but number six, the body of Christ is also to be marked by generosity as it sees need within our body, right? The Christian mindset is reflected in seeing your, your money and your possessions as the means of God's grace to others. What you have is not for you to hoard, but it's a means of God's grace to other people. This is where a living sacrifice gets really, really practical and really uncomfortable. Do you give regularly and sacrificially? Are you quick to meet the needs of others with your possessions or your time? Do you open your home to people? 
sacrificial giving and Christian hospitality are very unique and very clear statements to a watching world about who we are and what we do. When they see us building palaces to ourselves, they are who we remind our people of. But when they see us with open hands and welcoming arms, they say, Verse 14 kind of changes the direction in the text here and highlights a subject that we'll come back to in verses 17 through 20. So I'm going to introduce it here. Paul provides instructions here regarding how believers are to respond to unfair treatment and persecution. The overall flavor of a Christian community is one of being gracious. Even when the world would expect some retaliation, you are marked by a relationship. Persecutors are not to be cursed, even though you didn't really want to. Rather, they are to be blessed. And the word blessed is used twice here for emphasis. Did you, did you pick that up? Bless those who persecute you. Bless, like you didn't get it the first time. Bless and do not curse them. So we are to bless those who are against us. And this is this is a number one of the number one cultural countercultural and revolutionary kind of dynamics when it comes to Christianity. Instead of seeking revenge, instead of becoming angry, instead of striking out, what do we do? A Christian turns the other cheek and not only turns the other cheek in a passive way, but turns the other cheek actively and extends a hand of grace. That is countercultural. Jesus prayed for his Somebody am amongst us is having a child, and we are just waiting and waiting and waiting for a child. What do we do? We enter into their joy. When somebody is getting married, and you are just waiting and waiting and waiting, what do you do? You get bitter? No, you, you enter into their joy. You celebrate when others are celebrating in our body. But that's not just it, right? It's not just identifying with the highs of life, but it's also identifying with the very lows of life, the pains and the struggles. Brene Brown <coughs> wrote a book called Rising Strong as a Spiritual Practice. And I don't agree with everything that Brene Brown says theologically about spiritual practice, but she, she has a great idea here. And she, as she was talking through, as listening to it on Audible, she presents a question pertaining to empathy that is still kind of swirling around in my brain. She says this, think of someone in your life who drives you crazy. Got it? Got that person? You don't have to use any names right now. But she goes, what if God 
right now and said, I'm here to tell you that this person is doing their absolute best right now.
why you don't have friends? You might want to start here. Instead, the church needs to be characterized by people who love one another, despite their status in life. You, you are to associate with the lowly. Care for people. Even if those relationships do not help you move up some kind of social, political, or relational ladder, you associate with the lowly. You're, you're humble. Verse 17, we are to live kindly. Remember what verse 14 said about blessing persecutors? Verses 17 through 21 just unpacks this even further. How do you respond to people who treat you unfairly or in a manner that is absolutely evil? First, Paul tells you, don't repay evil for evil. Followers of Jesus need to resist this natural urge to fight. Right? That's the first thing. Now, strike that. Throw into whatever expletive you might have right there. You just want to strike out. And don't repay evil. But instead, they should give thought to, to do what is honorable in the sight of everyone. This means that their, their lack of retaliation should be recognized by even unbelievers as being honorable and commendable. So in the midst of a fight, instead of striking out, you're holding back and just saying, you know, I, I'm still going to honor you. In fact, I'm going to outdo showing honor to you. Even though you are being a total jerk right now, I can just say, my peace is found in Christ. My hope is found in Christ. My identity is found in Christ, not your words. sacrifices as much as possible are to live at peace with one another. Let Christianity is to breed, breed love, harmony, selflessness between people. So in the midst of a culture that is filled with animosity, conflict, and self-centeredness, the followers of Jesus Christ are to be these kind of people who create and make peace. Paul says, listen, we know it's not always possible, right? <clears throat> There's always those who keep going at it, for sure. And he says, listen, as much as it depends on you, sometimes peace isn't possible due to our commitment to Christ and his gospel. There are times where peace is impossible because the other party is just filled with hatred and malice. There's just something evil about us that's best for that. while knowing it might not actually work. Sometimes reconciliation and harmony are not possible, no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you pray, no matter how hard you believe, sometimes it's just not possible. However, the believer should always long Verse 19, all these descriptions have directed towards the relationship of, towards other people, right? And verse 19 adds an important dynamic here as it relates to a believer's relationship with God. Instead of seeking revenge, what does a follower do? How do we live now? You are called to 
trust in God's ability to deliver justice. That says, leave it to the wrath of God. Hey, take your hands off this one. You ain't God. Quit acting like it. Leave it to God's wrath. Let him be the final judge. Let him administer justice. Quit playing God and stay in your lane. It means the final word of judgment has to be spoken by God. The hope here is that there is a future of accountability. There will be a day where justice will be served. And God will hold each man, woman, and child accountable. And this hope for future judgment is what undergirds a believer's ability to set aside rebellion. God will still save us. Susan can save us. She's greater than us. And his sense of justice is far higher than yours. And more pure. Day, 
good mercy, doling out mercy, is going to, in some ways, keep cold the judgment. Start with this call to, to love and serious and to practical expressions, and now it concludes with this, this encouragement, this exhortation about how to live in the midst of this world filled with evil. He says, Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Right? So followers of Jesus are not just to allow evil to be done to them, to overwhelm them to such a point where th uh, they respond in the same kind of fashion. No, instead, they are called to conquer evil by doing good to people who do not deserve any kind of good. And the way that they do this is placing their hope in God's ability to actually be God. Their hope in him is what motivates them to love their fellow believers deeply. And their hope in him is what gives them the courage to be the kind of people who are kind to the unfair the unkind ones and to the ones who are actually evil. Their view of God informs the relationships inside of the world and outside of the world. So Christian, how do you live? What should be the your mindset? What should it look like? What does it mean practically for a believer to live as a living sacrifice? These 15 adverbs describe the way individual Christians should live. They capture the potential beauty of a community of people who, who know how to think and know how to act. And this, this list is overwhelming. And if we would score it on Lincoln Way's uh, schedule of giving out grades, how they do it, we fail. Miserably. We bomb out. So as you think about this, reflect on how much grace each of these words actually take. When taken together, this, this list is impossible except for the grace of God. You, you can't do it. This, this list is convicting. I hope you found yourself you did encourage. But we need to ask God to help us change. Because this list is countercultural, and if these are radical compared to the culture around us, and this list is also beautiful. And this is the list, church, of what it should look like for you individually. And what it should look like for us corporately. If we would leave these 15 ideas from the beginning, if we would leave these 15 characteristics, do you know how strong our witness would be in this community? How winsome the gospel would appear to the world? If these words described you, do you know what kind of impact you would have in your dorm, in your, in your uh, apartment building, in your complex, in your neighborhood, in your workplace? If this describes you? Could you imagine if these words described your family life, how attractive it would be? If these words described our church, 
you know how unusual and powerful it would be? Would God give us his strength to live sincerely, purely, affectionately, passionately, steadfastly, generously, graciously, emphatically, uh, harmoniously, humbly, kindly, peaceably, trustingly, mercifully, and intentionally. Friends, we are going to come to the Lord's Supper. And he invites us here. And you have heard his word. And you are probably convicted and marked and saying, oh boy, I didn't do well here. This is your opportunity to say, coming to you, Christ, I am inadequate. But you are my adequacy. Therefore, I repent. And I'm feeding on you. Lord, would you fill me with your spirit? Give me your spirit. Send me out. But I am relying, I'm finding myself at the foot of the cross. I'm offering myself to you again today. So friends, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way after the meal. He took the cup. He's pouring it out. He said, this is my blood in the new covenant. Pour it out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. His blood poured out for you. Friends, this meal is open to all who believe in their hearts and confess in their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. You are relying on him for your wholeness if you are longing to live more into these 15 characteristics, friends, you are welcome to come. If you find yourself not believing, then step to God. And you're pushing away from it. I want to encourage you. You may see. Keep saying it. 